I was hooked right away because not just because of the taste of coffee, because at that, that in that moment it didn't matter. What mattered is that I was falling in love with the product of my hands. Place podcast, the best and yet most humble podcast concerning the co-ferment of people and place. Here we take deep dives via casual conversation into the infinitely fascinating world of fermentative beverages such as wine and other drinks. I'm your host, Daniel Honan. What did you think about episode 18 with Jeff Booth? Did it make you think? It sure as hell hurt my brain in places. One of the most fascinating and revealing conversations I think I've ever had. I'm grateful to anyone who reached out via DM or email or even phoned me at one point. Let me know how that episode helped them to make sense of things just a little bit more clearly. I'm stoked to hear that Jeff's ideas resonated with most of you. They certainly have resonated with me. My guest for episode 19 of the Fermenting Place podcast is Herbert Pinalosa. Herbert is a coffee farmer and producer from Tolima, Colombia where he helps to grow, process, and market single-origin coffee beans on his family farm, 575 Cafe. Herbert is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to coffee and holds great insight into its often overlooked and undervalued place in our world. With so much frequency and ubiquity in our daily lives, it's easy to overlook, understate, and take for granted the nuance of provenance and place that coffee comes from. Every day, Herbert seeks to compress this distance between the grower and the customer to help people connect to the coffee he grows back to its unique coordinates here on Earth. In episode 19 of the Fermenting Place podcast, Herbert and I discuss coffee's democratic pleasures, locating coffee's place in the world, falling in love with farming, wild terrain, varietals, fermentation, tasting notes, and so much more. If you dig what you hear, please consider supporting the Fermenting Place podcast. Exchange a little value for value. You can support the Fermenting Place podcast and help to ensure its long-term sustainability by becoming a Patreon subscriber over at patreon.com forward slash Daniel. From just five bones a month, you can be like other Patreons who help me to create high-quality episodes like this. If you're not down with supporting the show over the long term, perhaps you'd consider making a one-off donation via PayPal or using the Bitcoin network, it's quick and easy to do and will really help me to continue to produce future episodes featuring some of the best in the game. At the very least, do me a solid and share this episode with at least one person. Send it to your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your best mate. Hell, send it to your enemy and then make peace with them. Click that subscribe, follow button and like, share or leave a comment so that more and more people can grow their know about how fermentative beverages like coffee and other drinks are inextricably influenced by and emergent from the unique environmental and cultural circumstances of a particular place. It really is an immense help if you do. Log on to fermentingplace.com for more info on ways you can show your support for the show and enable even ensure the sustainable production of quality ground up listener led content such as the Fermenting Place podcast. Right, so without any more, uh, blah, 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 what are we going to say here? All right, enough of me rambling. Please listen, like, share, subscribe, and enjoy. Episode 19 of the Fermenting Place podcast featuring coffee farmer Herbert Penalosa. 
I'm speaking with Herbert Peñalosa in uh, Risalada, Colombia. Herbert, how are you, uh, man? Hey, mate. How, fine, fine. A little bit uh, under the weather. Mm-hmm. Got, a, got, a tiny, got a tiny case of the old flu, but all good. All Damn. good. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, man. I'm, uh, I'm early morning here, sipping coffee um, and keen to chat to you about coffee um, and learn as much as I can about the coffee making process and the growing and everything like that. It's, um, it's a thing that's recently fascinated me. There's a, a local barista around the corner from my house uh, in Newcastle uh, who uh, introduced me to, I guess, specialty coffee. And he blew my mind with just the, the differences between each cups and the brewing processes and the way that he's able to, you know, prepare these cups and uh, select the right beans and things like that. And he's been taking me on a bit of a, a bit of a trip. I buy a lot of beans from him and, yeah. um, and brew them up in my house, you know, in the morning. And it's kind of like been rediscovering wine again. It's, it's been fascinating. So, um, you know, a new wanted, rabbit hole, right? Yeah. That, well, that's it. Like I don't have time for a lot of new rabbit holes, but this, this coffee one is, um, <laughs> is one that I really want to explore and, I mean, the, the, the thing is, I didn't, the thing that fascinates me most about coffee is that, you know, it's this everyday drink. It's so ubiquitous. Everybody, uh, well, most people, shall we say, ex- experiences a cup of coffee in the morning on their way to work or whatever. And through that process, through that familiarity, you kind of lose that sense of occasion. Uh, and mm-hmm. then you, you, from that, I guess you, you forget the the places that these that these coffees come from and the varieties. Well, I always and, say it's yeah, I always say it's a very democratic pleasure mm. or luxury. Mm. I think it's it's very easy to drink the best coffee in the world in your living room, you know? True. Like right away. It's 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 a privilege you don't have with with many other drinks or foods, right? Yeah, I mean the thing is, though, you, 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 you can do it at home. So I guess, I mean, you can drink wine at home, right? So, you know, what's the, what's the difference? But the, the, the thing is, there's so many parallels that I've found between um, wine and, and coffee in terms of varietals, in terms of processing, um, the growing as well, most importantly, the fundamentals. Um, so this is, uh, this is what you do. I want to I wanna, I wanna chat to you about, uh, about all of that. But first, I guess we should probably intro, you know, and give us a brief history of uh, who you are and, and who you work with or for. Or it's 5-7 Cafe, is 5-7-5 Cafe is your, um, is your business, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my, my business is the brand behind uh, what my farms produce, basically. So we, we created, uh, we created the, the company and, well, the farm and everything with my, my mom and my uncle probably... 10 years ago, I think, nine, mm-hmm. I think nine, nine and a half years ago. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was conceived as something very different to, to what we have right now, but, uh, but we, we've been shaping it the way we want it to be in the, in the last couple of years and well, growing the project and adding like a couple new, uh, what additions to it, uh, that 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 will will require along the way. So yeah, catch me up on uh, on the 
on the establishment of Five Seven Five Cafe and how you um, how you came to to do this gig. You you haven't done this your entire yeah. life. No, no, no. I'm a I'm a city boy. I I was born and raised and everything else in in Bogota, which is the capital city of Colombia. Uh, I, I I just came to coffee by accident. I come from a coffee growing family, but I don't. I don't call myself an ex-generation uh, coffee grower because I'm, I'm not. I, I, I'm just starting out. There's no legacy behind to, mm-hmm. to maintain or, or honor or something. We're, so we're basically building it. Um, the thing with coffee and, and, and it's, what was the word you used? Ubiquity. Uh, mm. Is that you got to consider uh, a lot more uh, dimensions of it when you're when you're talking about coffee compared to wine or whiskey or probably beer or beer beer I think beer and coffee share a lot of business parallels. So um, my point is that when you when you think about coffee, you got to consider the trade dimension of it because this is and we we will. We, we have to acknowledge that right away. Uh, coffee is a colonial product uh, which was created and, 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 and has always been in that parallel with the history of modern trade or capitalism, if you want. Uh, so there's always a dimension of trade in it. So you can't, or at least in my work philosophy and, and the people we work with, um, you can't separate the trade from the product, so they, they they always they always go one next to each other, mm-hmm. and we're not talking about basic trade like well, producing something and just selling it outside of any market. Uh, coffee, uh, and I will say probably sixty or seventy percent of what coffee really is is uh, supply chain. Right. So if you control the supply chain, if you can if you can be part of the supply chain then you have a little bit more power in your hands as a producer. So that was, that was the, the initial idea. Uh, as I told you, I, I'm, I was not like brought up or, or, or raised in a, in a coffee farm. Mm-hmm. So I had a different idea of businesses when I started working in coffee. I had previous experience in international trade and something else. My, my major is business, but um, I usually worked uh, many years as a photographer. Right, right. Uh, but but I always I always uh, supported the family companies with with international trade mostly. So I was I was quite familiar with it. And and once I started working in coffee, that was something we saw. There was there was there was a disconnection there, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, the whole I think the, the the whole shift the company took was was towards uh, closing that gap and getting closer to the supply chain and building a stronger supply chain for us. And for, for, for the farms close to us as well. So that's the that's that's mostly it, I think. Uh, so it 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 became some kind of rabbit hole as well, but with many, many holes surrounding it, you know. Mm-hmm. So you see coffee as the main channel, but there's there's many, many others around it. So uh, accounting, international trade. Uh, well, supply chain, quality control, dry milling, roasting—like all of those things—end up end up building up a like a like a stronger, well, I don't know, platform probably. And that's that's been my history, 
Crawling Coffee. It's been five or six years, I think, uh, in which I've been 120% focused on how to, well, how to change different aspects of the business and build, build a stronger platform for us. So kind of getting that connection to close a little bit, you know, bring, bringing the, I guess, the end consumer back to the, to the farm or to the place that the, the coffee originally comes from and kind of closing that gap a little bit and, and having perhaps a little bit more uh, oversight on what, what, what happens in between those two steps? Yeah, definitely. Well, as, 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 as with any colonial product, uh, you don't have the right to transform it as a producer. So somebody else is doing it for you and somebody else is calling the shots. Mm-hmm. So why bother doing what you do at the farms and what you do in processing and, and everything else if you're not going to have the ultimate control on how the product is going to taste, you know? Right. So, so that has been a bit of it. Uh, um, it's like giving learning, up... Learning... Sorry, it was, it's, it's a bit like giving up a bit of skin in the game uh, once it leaves the farm. Yeah. Well, it's 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 giving all the skin in the game. Uh, it leaves the farm, but you don't lose sight of the product. The mm-hmm. thing, the thing here is probably that I, I and it will be good to clarify uh, the way coffee moves, and it's very similar to cacao or cocoa. I don't know how you say it in English, but we call it cacao. Mm-hmm. So cocoa, you call it in English. Um, so it's very similar to cocoa. It changes so many hands that that you you kind of lose track of it. So as a small producer here and anywhere around here, uh, you take your product to a local shop, the closest you can find, uh, because, well, transportation is expensive, and uh, you sell your product by the kilo to any local buyer. Mm-hmm. That buyer puts that coffee in a pile, and that pile grows and grows and grows during the week, and then it gets shipped to a dry mill. So on that shipment, you can have coffee from 100 different farms or 200 different farms. Or in the case of the town, I'm at 5,000 different farms. Mm. Uh, on, 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 on increments, uh, sorry, on, on parts of 100 kgs. So traceability there is impossible. Yeah. And you're, commo- you're, you're commodit- commoditizing, if that word even exists, you're, you're turning that product into a commodity in the second you sell it. Yeah, because you lose everything else, you know, and then it, it it from the dry mill it goes probably to another dry mill because it's never that straightforward, and then it goes to a local purchase, a local purchase person or middle people, and then it goes to an exporter, and then it goes to an importer, and then probably to a broker. So you can change hands five six times by uh, by the moment it arrives to the roaster's hands. Uh, well, it's not a it's not a coffee bean anymore. It's not that seed. It's just nuts and bolts, you know. I was going to say it's, it reminds it's me any, of a, a yeah. ball bearing or something. Yeah, yeah, nuts and bolts. It's yeah, it's whatever. It's it's just something that is inside a bag and waits. Yeah, That's all, it. all sense of provenance is eradicated. Essentially, it's it's completely exactly distorted. Uh, the moment exactly. I guess you lump it on that pile. Yep. Yep. Exactly. No, the moment the moment as a producer, and here's the here's the change, the moment as a producer, as as as, as the person producing and, and and processing it, the moment you decide, it has to go into that pile and you're gonna sell it there. 
it, it, it goes, you know. And that's actually uh, now that you ask about the, the company, that's where where the name five seventy five comes from. It's actually the geographical coordinates of the main farm we have five minus seventy five, and it comes from the idea that there's no two places alike in the world. You know that 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 yeah. physical restriction of that not two things two things cannot be in the same space is a little bit of that it's a, it's 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 probably corny but it's it's the idea behind the brand you know it's like what else do we have except of this piece of land we have here you know mm-hmm. totally it's uh, it's a coordinates for place it's um it's that instant connection to um, mm-hmm. to the source to the origin of where of where this coffee comes from and i mean you know because coffee's been commoditized, when you start thinking about it in more specialty terms and you want to, you know, connect it back to its, to its um, place of provenance, uh, it's very easy to, to slip into some kind of, um, you know, privileged space where, uh, you know, you can even consider these types of things. But I think the, uh, the opposite is true. I think it's incredibly important to think about the products that we engage with in our everyday lives, whether they are, you know, beer or wine or whiskey or, or indeed coffee, and consider that uh, they have originated from a particular environment uh, that's been, you know, managed and worked by people, and uh, and has been sent out into the world, and now you get to enjoy it wherever that may be on your way to work, uh, in a in a reusable cup or. Uh, you know, on your table at, at dinner time at, at, uh, with a bottle of wine or something, it's um, it's something really important to think about, and and it's it may be a first world privilege, but uh, I don't know, who cares? I don't care. <laughs> well, it, it's it's it, it. I always say that it it fits your soul. You know, <laughs> that uh, that that special product that at least that worked that was for me. I I don't I don't conceive. I don't conceive coffee without specialty attached to it. Mm-hmm. I never, I've never worked on the on the on the on the commodity market, and I don't see myself working in it. It's uh, I, it makes no sense, you know. Like like I was telling you, everything, everything you do in that piece of land and all the all the, all the transformation, the seed goes through, uh, makes sense when 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 you're communicating that transformation. I, I, it's, it's of course, uh, something that comes from ego probably, but, uh, well, but that's probably one of the reasons you create the stuff for, you know? So how did you come to think of coffee like this and make those connections and compress that, that, that space between, you know, the farm and, and the, the final cup? It, it was, it was pretty straightforward, to be honest. Uh, probably instinctive. Like, like I told you, I have a I have a background in business, and when I started consulting uh, for the farm, because well, my mom my mom bought it with my uncle, and they never told me. They they called me one day and were like, "Hey, uh, I need to come take pictures of the coffee farm." I was like, "What? What coffee farm?" Like, oh yeah, we we bought a coffee farm a couple of years ago, and uh, I want you to help us. I was like. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I, I went there and I didn't took a single picture uh, because I was I was in love with the whole process. Yeah, right. Uh, and yeah, well, 
it's 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 very hands-on and it's 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 something that hooks you up pretty quickly because there's something else it's 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 very easy to to see those changes like you can really quickly just with processing of course then there's a lot of more complex things behind it but uh just with processing you can change the coffee quite fast so you can have instant almost instant feedback of what you're doing you don't have to wait for years to see if that tastes pretty well mm-hmm. on on that scenario but that's 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 something else um that's part of it but i i i really got hooked up with it uh and I started thinking on, on, on how to narrow down the chain, the supply chain, uh, pretty quickly. That was that was probably the, the uh, I tried I tried to do it uh, with 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 exporters and importers once or twice, and I hit these walls that were were it was pretty obvious for me, you know, that if that makes any sense, that 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 was not the way, because they were they were acting as if. As if, as if I was doing quality control for an international trade company on which I don't care about the product itself. I care about some numbers, I care, I care about some marks, and I care about the buzzwords that can go with those numbers and those marks. And if, if I hit it, it's good. I can, I can market that. Or, well, I can't because the person actually doing the quality control for me is not the same person selling the coffee overseas. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the communication is also broken, you know. And I started talking with clients, with, with roasters. They were not clients at that time. I started talking to, to roasters at the same time, and there was a disconnection. So it, it, it was, like I told you, instinctive. It was like, well, if this doesn't make any sense, we have to make it make sense. Mm. And that was basically it. Uh, it, it, it sounds easier than it was. Uh, I think, I think we started with that discussion probably in 2013, eight years ago. And right now we're still trying to figure out, we, we set up a, a big project that, that actually closes that gap for a lot of producers, not just 575, but everyone else, which is, that is part of the same group. And, uh, but we're still, we're still figuring it out. Do you, can you recall that first, uh, that first day, that first moment that you arrived on the farm and what were your expectations and, and did they meet or exceed them? I mean, what made you fell in love with that place? Cause I mean, you said you, you were there to take photos and you kind of forgot cause you were just so immersed with <laughs> the place. Yeah. Well, um, I always Say that I have a little bit of like those coffee genes because, well, my, my family used to grow coffee, my mom's family. That's why they bought the farm. They wanted to, to go back to it a little bit. So I think there's, there's, there's one thing to it is that blood calls you, you know? It's, it's hard to explain, but, but uh, you get to do something and you feel like it's inside of you. And, and, and you got to keep going. But that was, that was the secondary, that was the main feeling, but that was the secondary part of it. Um, I tried to, when, when I went to the farm, I was, I, was, I was working on advertising. Like it was, my mission there was an advertising mission. And I, 
I took that as any other advertising assignment. I did my research. I went and talked to coffee people. I, I tried to immerse in coffee processing a little bit before going because I didn't want to, to go uh, empty-handed or empty-hearted. I don't know. I don't know how to... But I didn't want my mind to be blank mm-hmm. in, towards it. You know, I wanted to have something to be able to analyze it through something. Right. Uh, so I read, I read this 1929 book uh, from, from the, what, what will became the FNC afterwards, which is the National Coffee Growers Federation. And uh, it was the manual of the modern coffee grower from 1921. It was, it, I still read it sometimes. It's, it's, it's a good source of inspiration. And that book gave me an idea of, of what was the farm life the, not the farm life, the farm work, like, because farm life is, is something rather different. So I arrived with the obsession that I wanted to pick a little bit of coffee and at least process it in, 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 in any way, you know, whatever. I didn't know anything about processing, just that it needed to be pulped, a little bit fermented, washed and dried. Uh, I picked some coffee with my uncle. We depulped it together. The, I, I remember we were setting up the all the dry mill. The farm was not even twenty percent of what it is right now. It was it was a project uh, thought to be a commodity coffee project. So we didn't have good infrastructure, anything. We had every possible meter square meter of the farm planted with coffee, which is a mistake I know now, but at that time I didn't know. So we were trying to plant coffee everywhere. I remember that. It was very dense and very packed. You you, you sometimes felt like short of air in some of the lots. Mm-hmm. So you're going for volume uh, and yield. Yeah, but not also. Yeah, that's that's one thing. But the other thing is that uh, when you go for that, or at least in some, some coffee growers' mind, you, you give up processing because you sell your coffee wet. So there's another middleman that, that dries it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, with all the defects and stuff that comes with it. Uh, but then I, I remember I took the coffee home because I didn't have enough time to dry it. And I had it in my studio, outside of my photography studio. I had a, a small photography and design studio at that time. And I was drying it in a, in a porcelain plate outside of the, of the window. And I took it downstairs because there was a little bit more sunlight in the parking lot. And and the doorsman, he came over and said, like, how oh, are you trying coffee? And I was like, well, yeah, I didn't. If the coffee, when it's drying, it looks like peanuts. Mm-hmm. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, if you're not familiar with coffee, you see it and it's peanuts. So you, uh, I had a week of people telling me, like, what are you doing with those peanuts? And right away, the doorsman the doormans, the doormans say, hey, you, you have coffee there. So it was like, oh, well, this guy knows something. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, like, Ignacio, what do you know about it? And he was like, oh, you got to dry it until this point. And he, he, he gave me a walkthrough <laughs> on how to dry it and how to, how to take the skin out, how to, how to meal it. Uh, we milled it, and I roasted. I remember I roasted in my, on the oven at my house. Uh, this is very common. This is a very common story among coffee people. That's, that's how we get started. That, that's, that's our gateway, <laughs> gateway drug. Yeah, right. Grabbing green coffee, roasting in your house, and drinking it. That's, it was probably a hideous cup of coffee, but I was drinking hideous coffee at the time. So that was, that was probably the best cup of coffee I had in my life at that moment. That was 2012. And uh, 
I was hooked right away. Yeah. Because not just because of the taste of coffee, because that 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 didn't matter. That matters now when I'm running a company that has to do quality products for people around the world. But in that moment, it didn't matter. What mattered is that I was falling in love with the product of my hands. Yeah. So the I, I think the yeah I think the important part of that taste is that I produced it with my hands, a part of it at least, and that's what hooked me. You know. Yeah. You 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 had a hand in its creation. I think that's one of the coolest things. Um, people people get that sense when they create something that that exists because they were there in that moment in time and 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 it now exists. I, I get that with. Um, Back in 2014, I was lucky enough to uh, be allowed to pick some grapes and make some wine uh, at a at a farm at a vineyard in, uh, in here in the Hunter. And um, one of the I, ma- I made two wines at the end. Um, one was this uh, field blend of Semillon, Vidello, and um, I think Chardonnay, perhaps. And uh, and Anyway, it was all on skins and everything, and it, t- it tasted amazing. And <laughs> I, I, I thought it tasted amazing. Uh, and one day, um, one of the one of the guys working at the at the winery was topping barrels and stuff, and accidentally topped um, this this small uh, barrel that I had with red wine, uh. and it completely distorted this sort of beautiful amber orange color, and made it into this kind of murky pink. And I remember <laughs> feeling devastated that this what I thought was you know the most perfect wine and, and something that I'd created and couldn't believe that that that, that it, you know how well it had turned out and now it was it was discolored and that's the only thing it was only it was just discolored it wasn't uh, it the aroma wasn't really affected the the flavors weren't really affected the textures certainly weren't affected it was just this it was just color. It was a color, and and I I remember sitting on the couch just feeling so <laughs> deflated, like fuck. And um, <laughs> eventually got over that, and then just was sort of in awe of this this wine that I'd made. And then the the red version, well, I mean, let's be honest, that was um, that was pretty infected with with Britannomyces. Um but, but uh, I I'd made it, you know, and uh, and I. Yep kind of made me fall even deeper in love with wine and further down that rabbit hole. And I think it was because I had that tangible physical connection yeah. with its creation. So I totally get what you mean with the coffee. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a double, it's a double-edged source, uh, sword, you know, the, that love for the product. Mm. Because it can, it can guide you forward and like, like go through anything you want. But at the same time, if you're not... Like like you're saying, if you're not entirely objective, it can turn against you. You mm-hmm. know, it gets too personal. So that kind of moment where you were roasting it in your house, that essentially gave you the the idea to take control of of the processing um, after you've grown it and, and and harvested the 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 berries, the cherries. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's actually. Would it be cherries or berries? That's a good one. I'm not sure. You're the you're the expert here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually it's actually a what's it in, what's the word in English? A droop? A drop? Like stone fruits. Droop. 
Oh, right. Uh, I can't remember the Traub. The, the type of the fruit, I can't remember. It's, it's, it's technically a stone fruit. Uh-huh. So it will be, yeah, cherry. More than a berry. It will be a cherry. Yeah, right. Because okay. it has a, big, has, a, has a big pit in it. Well, so that's the interesting thing. So I don't, I don't know. Like I said, uh, I'm a, this is a total beginner's mind when it comes to, to coffee. One of the things that when you were talking about taking the reins of, of um, processing stuff is essentially you're value adding similar to what they do in the wine industry where um, you, know, you can grow the grapes and then sell those grapes, um, but your yeah. margins are quite slim. Whereas if you build the infrastructure to be able to grow the grapes and then process them yourselves, turn them into wine, and then go out and sell them, um, then uh, you can you can you know it, it's, well, it's far more it, economical. No, definitely, definitely. Uh, there, I mean, it's it's a, it's a principle of a lot of businesses. The further the further down the road you go with processing, uh, well, the more money you can make, right? And the risks are higher and the costs are higher, but sure. There's a the thing with coffee in Colombia is that the norm is that you have to have infrastructure. Like that, there's some people trying to change it, and I hate him because of that, mm-hmm. honestly. But but the thing is that um, you have to have infrastructure. At least, what's what's basic infrastructure? Uh, tanks for fermentation, a deep pulper to take the skins out. Uh, tanks for washing. So it's usually two tanks, one for fermentation and then one to flow the coffee at or, or you have to to wing it with one just one tank. Uh, and then you have to have some space to dry it out. The thing is that it rains a lot during harvest. So it's usually a greenhouse or greenhouse-ish uh, equipment. Or you can have mechanical drying, which is also an option. But you... you each farm is capable, in Colombia at least, and I, I won't say each right now because things have changed in the last 20 years, but I, I, will, I will surely say without knowing the numbers uh, that 80 to 85% of the farms in the country are capable or, of bringing their coffee all the way to parchment. Parchment is the currency, let's call it in big air quotes, the currency on which you move coffee around the country. And I say currency because having a kilo of parchment is like having money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Whenever you go, you can sell it, no questions asked. Remember the piles. So nobody will ask you. And that, that makes it uh, very appealing for, for, for thieves as well. So people usually want to sell it as fast as possible. That's also why people sell it pretty fast. But he, everyone is quite equipped with that. Then, then, then it goes to another stage which is dry milling, which there, there are some farms that do it, uh, farm level. Uh, in Colombia, I'm talking, Central America, it's very common that the big states, they also have their own dry milling. Mm-hmm. The, problem, the problem with dry milling is if you don't do it properly or if you don't do it at the right time, uh, well, your coffee ages pretty fast. And, uh, well, a coffee that ages fast is a coffee with no value. Because that's that's one beautiful thing on trade, in trade terms about coffee is that it lasts a while, and it actually gets better with a with a with a uh, with a moderate amount of time. Interesting. So it 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 develops and changes its expression through. through it, it, yeah. Yeah. Right. If you do your your job right. Okay. If, 
if if you don't if it 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 just it destroys right away. I actually heard that for the first time uh, when I was living in in, in Timor Leste. Uh, I was I was copying coffees there with some people from Australia and and and, and from um, what's that Singapore, and uh, they were telling me that Colombian coffees age pretty fast, and I've never heard that before. And uh, then I started looking into that, and it's, it's it's actually a fact, a well-known fact in coffee at least, and it has to do with drying. So we're 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 always in a hurry for drying, and storing is not the best. So we we usually have problems with that, and that that adds up to the to the whole idea of of the product. So you can say probably that the Colombian terroir includes. Coffee not aging well, but it doesn't have to to do with with that itself, but with the with the way it's treated. Uh, I, I I say about terroir because uh, there's a couple of books about coffee buying for like guides for 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 traders and for green coffee buyers, and and they say that oh if it rains after the harvest in Colombia, your coffee is not gonna be is not gonna not gonna be able to hold for long, which is crap. Of course, it's just a stupid thought correlating rain and and durability of mm-hmm. the grain over time. But but it's 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 become something that it's embedded to our terroir, you know. Right, right. So I'm curious to to talk a little bit, Herbert, about um, the place and and five seven five that that location. But I. I guess for, for a bit of background, I, I never knew this. I, I haven't really looked into this. Like I said, this is a whole other rabbit hole that I'm teetering on the edge of. I'm sort of reluctant to fall down too too fast because I've got a couple of other holes that I'm currently uh, hurtling down. But, you know, coffee, the, the, the plant itself, from my understanding, it comes from Ethiopia. Um, yeah, from, and then it kind of... I think, Sud- I think Sudan, actually, it's where where the Arabica comes from, but I'm not entirely sure. Okay. And then yep. it made its way to the Middle East. And then I think um, I was reading somewhere that I think it was the Dutch. Um, they yep. brought coffee back to the Netherlands um, and then spread it out to their colonies and stuff. And then it eventually made it to Central and South America around the 18th century, I think. From Well, yep. I've got a couple yeah, of notes late, here. late late 18th century. Right, right. So it's it. when I think of coffee and, and when we started chatting and, and you know, you're from Colombia, I'd always just assumed that coffee was just a naturally occurring plant perhaps in, in oh, no. Central America, but obviously that's not the case. Um, so there's the coffee plant, but then there's these different varietals in and amongst the coffee plant, right? There's and there's even like two t- types of coffee plant too, like arabica and there's another one. I can't, I can't. Uh, Rosa, yeah, those are the the more the more common ones, right. yeah. And then from that, then there's different varietals. So it's a little bit like with wine. There's Vitis vinifera, and then there's yep. all these different varietals underneath that that family tree. Um, well, Rosa is actually a different species from arabica, uh-huh. like they're. They 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 are, they're family, but they're not that close, so they behave like different species, actually. 
And they all originally hail from um, Sudan, Ethiopia, Africa, somewhere. Yep, yeah. All of them are African. Actually, I think I don't have my book around here. I have a book in my house, but I'm not going to look at it right now. But I think it's like 25 or 28 uh, identified like species of kofea, like the, 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 the bigger family. Mm-hmm. And then you just start getting specific on each one of them. There are three. There are three well known around the world that are uh, commercial that have commercial value. Robusta is one of them. Uh, of course, Arabica is the other one, and then comes a third one called uh, Liberica or Excelsa, which is huge trees with very big beans. Now you sent me a bunch of coffee beans very kindly all the way from. Columbia mm-hmm. to Newcastle, and uh, I was stoked to receive them. And um, Ben at Brewtails, he uh, he helped me prepare them and cup them. And on the labels, you know, you've got I've got I've got the the bags here. I've actually gone through all the coffee, um, which is a lot of fun. But the, the varietals like Tipica and uh, Columbia and CR95. What what yep. are these? Can you explain these for me? Yeah, um, so there is a, I will, I will try not to extend too much on this, but there's a boogeyman in coffee. Uh, I think uh, it's like Botrytis. Is, is Botrytis a big thing in wine? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's like, it's like Botrytis, but in coffee. It's not related to the root. It's more, mostly uh, airborne um, leaf disease. It's called uh, the, the the leaf rust. So it's a big, big, big boogeyman in coffee because it's well, it's actually pretty bad. But it it comes from it comes from the idea of uh, resilience or non-resilience, depending on what you your belief is, coffee grower. So if 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 you're a child of the Green Revolution, you think it's resilience in the plant. And if you like, let's say, permaculture and biodynamics and all of that, then you then you think and you believe that it's part of nutrition and the way you take care of the plant. So why why I'm making this this clarification is because when coffee was brought uh, to Latin America, uh, they brought uh, one same plant, and, uh, and, cl- and and they started producing clones of that same plant. So you know what happens when you excessively clone one single species or one single cultivar, you know? Mm-hmm. The, the, the whole genetics of it de- degrade right. as much as possible. So we ended, we ended up having this, this single tree called Tipica, which, uh, which yielded very good coffee. It, it, it liked the forests and the, well, the canopy that Colombia and Brazil probably... South and Central America had at that time, and it started adapting towards the year, to, 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 yeah, through time, mm-hmm. and uh, that was the main, the main crop in Colombia. And it's it's hundred, yeah, Tipica it's hundred percent Arabica, so the taste of it is amazing. I love it. I'm, I'm, if if I had to choose something to drink all the time, it would be Tipicas and and things similar to it. They're very mellow. Uh, probably completely opposed to what we think coffee is, mm-hmm. uh, depending on your beliefs as well. <laughs> so there's people that 
they say that coffee is a fruit, and it is, and it should taste like it. So if, if that's your case, Tipica is the way to go, and Geisha and everything related to it. Right. Uh, then you have, um, well, industrialization of coffee in Colombia. Let's, let's talk about the Colombian case. Uh, I've read somewhere that we had uh, in, the early in, in, the, in the early 19th century, uh, sorry, 20th century, we had uh, a problem with the industrialization and we had to return to the canopy model, but it's not that clear. Uh, but the main one you can see uh, comes from 1975. So what happened is that uh, Brazil was in trouble because of uh, frost. So coffee prices skyrocketed. Uh, they, they, they went up like 10 times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Colombia uh, was faced... We, did, we didn't have a specialty coffee at the moment. Specialty coffee is rather new. It has probably 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. So, so we came to that... Uh, let's call it a schism between, between the two ideas. And uh, Colombia had a chance of keep doing what they were doing. Tipicas under canopy good processing, freaking amazing coffee, and be the, the best uh, mellow coffee in the world. Like, let's say, like the Latin American Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Or we, could turn, we can turn ourselves into Brazil. Colombian government decided towards Brazil. So they just started a massive scale deforestation of the whole country. Right. And we lost thousands and thousands of hectares, probably millions of hectares of canopy and typicas towards a uh, higher yield, uh, smaller varietal called Caturra, which was a Brazilian uh, varietal. So when that happened, uh, of course, in the next 10 years or 15 years, uh, the production of the country skyrocketed. It was amazing that the paradigm changed towards productivity and it was successful. So a lot of families uh, made money at that time. Mm-hmm. That's also one thing. Is like my family was not in coffee at that time. My family got rid of coffee in the seventies and eighties, so we were not part of that bonanza. We didn't we didn't make money at that moment. A lot of families did, uh, but that environmental uh, alimony everyone had in their land because of the forest they just recently cut mm. uh, ran out in fifteen years. Yeah. Because there was one thing, Tipica didn't need any fertilizer because hmm. it was in a canopy. You had everything you had there, you needed there. Of course, it was, it was going to need fertilizer in one moment, uh, but it was not as highly extractive as Katura was. So, so Tipica rep- was more yeah. well suited to the environment that it was growing in than this, this other, other plant that worked really yeah. well in the short term, but over the long run started to create a lot of yeah, problems. It's, it's, it's starting to decay and it came with rust. So we had a huge epidemics of rust. It was not as bad as anywhere else in the world. Colombia actually acted pretty quickly. And the response uh, was Colombia varietal, which is the other varietal you were asking about. Colombia uh, comes from a hybrid called CR95, which in its place comes from a hybrid called Timor hybrid. Uh, Timor hybrid, it's a naturally occurring hybrid. 
that was discovered in Timor-Leste, which was a natural hybrid between Robusta and Tipica. Mm. So two different species were mixing to produce a completely different species, wow. which behaves a little bit like, like an Arabica. It has more traits of Arabica than, than, than Robusta, but it only has one problem. Well, it has a lot of problems, to be honest, but for, for the short, for, <laughs> for the storytelling, it works better to say that it only has one problem, cup profile. So it behaves like, a, like an Arabica. It, it yields a little bit like an Arabica, everything like an Arabica. It's resistant as a Robusta because Robusta is more resistant than Arabica. And, uh, but it tastes bad. Like it doesn't taste as good as, as 100% Arabica. Okay. So that was, so that was the problem. So we've been, we've been chasing our tails. I mean, we as a country, we've been chasing our tails on trying to create the best possible hybrid that tastes better, but yields better and doesn't have the rust problem. So we had a CR95 and with CR95, CR95 was created in Costa Rica. So the, the initials are called and in 95 is the year it was created. Colombia is from that time as well. Colombia is probably from the 80s, actually. So it's 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 comes from that from that Catimor. So the line is called the Catimors, which is a mix of Caturra and Timor hybrid. And uh, well, the rest is history. So 85 to 90 percent of the country is planted on Catimors right now. So every time you find Tipica, every time you find Gesha, every time you find something that is not that, well, we get excited mm. because, well, it's, 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 it's the closest we can get to what the original Ferrado of, of, of Colombia was probably. But it changes, you know, it changes over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. So I, I taste, made a bunch of tasting notes. And uh, one of the ones that stood out for me of the coffees that you sent was the CR95. Um, uh, and it was anoxic natural sun-dried, um, grown at an elevation of 1,350 meters. And the way I, uh, I think I, I wrote my notes, you know, red fruits, nectar and rind, natural earthy sweet, soil aroma, Savory in the mouth, dark chocolate, singed citrus rind, round mouthfeel, and gentle acidity. Um, I don't know how to make coffee tasting notes, but that was a damn delicious coffee. Uh, that, those are those are pretty good notes, man. <laughs> I was I was actually pretty excited for you to taste them. Uh, that that process is the closest I have to what Haler does at Rusilandia, actually. Ah, so yeah. he's he's process anoxic natural. Okay, so I wanted to chat a little bit about the process and that sort of thing um, because one of the things that I got super fascinated about was mm-hmm. this fact that fermentation is a part of the coffee-making uh, yep. process and I didn't actually realize that. I didn't know that. And um, on um, on that Instagram page um, that you just mentioned, Finca Russelandia, He's got these incredible photographs of fermentation in action of these coffee beans. They kind of look like microscopic images. And, uh, you know, can you talk to me a little bit about 
how fermentation, what, what role fermentation plays in um, coffee production? Yeah, definitely. Well, one, one thing to be noted first is that uh, what Hayler does is consider a heresy in Colombia. Oh, right. Yeah, like, so you get an idea. What he does is, if, if he was not selling the coffee through specialized channels, nobody will buy it in the country because uh, we don't use naturally dried, naturally processed coffees in Colombia. Colombia is uh, the, the, the land of washed coffees. So that's that's something to note about what, what, what Hayler does. Interesting, um, okay. So in that, in that regard, uh, like fermentation has a very uh, punctual and specific task in, in that part of processing, which is uh, pectolysis. So you need to take uh, the sugars out of the bean, well, out, out of the seed, or actually not the seed itself, but the parchment on top of the seed, uh, uh, to be able to dry it. And the best way of doing it, it's letting fermentation work its way through those sugars, uh, well, decompose them, well, not decompose them, what would be the word in English, uh, breaking them down, and that will allow you to wash to wash the seeds and then dry them, you know? So that's the basic task of what fermentation has in coffee. The thing is that uh, that comes with, uh, with repercussions in taste, and those repercussions are usually uh, pretty good if you do your job well and pretty terrible if you don't uh, because you can take fermentation further uh, so so far away that you can have uh, those earthy, earthy notes you were talking about, mm -hmm. but you can take them all the way to compost or coal hmm. or like very displeasing notes. Uh, but you can also uh, take your coffee towards vinegar and, and, and you can exaggerate it that much that you can actually destroy the cellular structure inside the bean. Lots of, lots of acetoactyl or anything else that will destroy, that will actually turn your coffee into vinegar and, and, and will destroy uh, the, the, the cellular structure. So uh, the main role, the main role will be that, but when when you start not destroying it like like uh, pectolysis, but when you start looking at the, at the rest of the process, well, you, you, you're basically developing esters and you're changing the flavor. Uh, there's two theories in coffee, and, and I, I I honestly don't have enough information to to go for one or another. I, I follow one. My my post harvesting agronomist follows another one, <laughs> so it's it's kind of. <laughs> It's kind of a nice struggle at the farm every time. Uh, but I, I think, well, the main, the main idea is that uh, you process uh, and, 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 and whatever products you produce during the fermentation stick to the outside layers of the, of the bean, well, of the, of the green bean itself and in the, in the small crevices it has in the middle. And when you roast it, uh, they transform into aromatic compounds that change the flavor of the coffee. That's mm. one line. That's the one I don't believe. I, I don't think that's that simple. Okay. 
there's another one that says that uh, that treats coffee itself as a seed. Well, we're working with seeds. So um, you, uh, what this line says is that you actually start uh, metabolic routes for germination when you're processing coffee. And that germination uh, breaks down breaks down, uh, carbohydrates and turns complex sugars into more simple sugars inside, uh, inside the seed, and that changes the flavor itself. Right. So what, bas- what, what it basically says that it is changing, uh, it is making everything that is inside uh, the seed more available and transforming it and will bring in new aromatic compounds. That's the line I believe on. And I think what happens outside, it's, uh, it's an indicator to what you're going to have inside, but they're not, they're just correlated. They're not uh, like related mm-hmm. on itself. Uh, but that's, yeah, it's, it, there's, there's both, both lines are, are, are getting researched. It, it just, well, comes down to what makes more sense to you. So yeah, I, basically. I, you, you mentioned that it was heresy the way that, um, <laughs> is, is that because the, the, is that because of a cultural tradition or is it an environmental, um, no. determine? Like, how is that, uh, from the, the little amount of reading that I've, I've sort of, you know, done in coffee, it, it, it seems, I've, I've read that sort of Colombia uh, and, and, the, and the natural making process, it's difficult because of um, rain or humidity, uh, high humidity, things like this. So is this sort of the way that you produce or process a lot of your coffees or uh, do you do it a different way? Hmm. No, I don't. I, I usually do naturals and, and honeys, like I semi-washed. I, I don't do washed coffees, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you in a bit why I don't. Um, it, it is a heresy uh, because of the market. Remember what I told you a couple of minutes ago. Um, coffee is closely related to its market. Right. So it doesn't exist if you can't sell it and sell it quick. So, so... To, to build up the idea of the coffee country, which is how they know Colombia, uh, the FNC uh, went, they, they didn't create it, but they, they advertised it, uh, the Colombia profile, which is uh, a very clean, washed, like wet processed coffee uh, that yields a specific flavor profile. I think that we were talking about that uh, when you were cupping coffees and, 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 and you were leaning more towards naturals mm. because of the taste of the fruit and everything. Yeah, brightness to them. The, yeah, there's, there's people that uh, naturally rejects that flavor, for example, when they drink coffee because they're more used to washed coffees. That more uh, I wouldn't chocolatey, know. earthy yeah. kind of vibe. Uh, no, more uh, citrus, uh, sugar, okay, and like 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 very straightforward, clean flavors. Right, and uh, I, I I don't know enough about wines to be able to make a parallel, but I think in beer, will be something like having a pills, for example, that mm-hmm. will be a washed, mm-hmm. and then having a sour beer, for example, or a gosé, that will be that will be a natural. You know, you have that spectrum and you have a lot of things in the middle. Uh-huh. 
Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go to stout and all that because those are like roasting styles. And right. That's different. But like in, in, in when you take clear beers, you have pills, which is clean, crisp, uh, sweet, and 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 then flavors are well defined. I'm I'm being blunt here. Yes. Sorry. And then you have gosse, which is like complex and probably some bretonomyces in it and sea salt and and a lot of different flavors, you mm-hmm. know, and complexity. And there will be people that like purists that will hate it and purists that will love it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's the thing with production. The problem, the problem you have in coffee is that if you don't do something that sells, you can't do it. Because it's a colonial product that has to be exported. Well, 90% of the coffee gets exported from Colombia. So you have to meet the criteria of that market. And the criteria of that market is washed coffee, you know, right away. Mm -hmm. So whenever you get into naturals or semi-washed or heavily processed coffees, you have to have your supply chain figured out or you're screwed. Right. There's, there's, there's 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 a silver lining blinding to it all and it's uh when you produce naturals or semi-washed coffees nobody's going to steal them from you because they can't sell them in town you know <laughs> so I'm, I'm i i don't have any manager like living in my farm when i'm not there and coffee is drying like in the greenhouses and we know that nobody's going to steal it because well there will be nobody nobody's going to find a market for it close. there's no saleability you know, so, uh-huh so that's that's a nice part of it but the thing is that uh, that's that's why Hailer's coffees or natural coffees they can be considered a heresy because they go against what Colombia profile is. That's Basically, so interesting. That's it. That's it. It reminds me a little bit of uh, early sort of 2010s when uh, Australian natural wine was coming up and it was a lot of derision about uh, about the way that these wine growers were, were processing and growing their grapes and making their wines. And then they, they didn't fit the profile of these big, heavy reds from Australia that uh, everybody associates mm-hmm. with. So they copped a lot of shit for a long, long time. And, um, you know, eventually the culture changed and everybody embraces them now. So perhaps yep. uh, Hailer's kind of at the, at the vanguard of this new way of processing coffee and so are you well he he definitely is his coffees are a little bit insane and i didn't know i didn't know you followed him i would have sent you coffee with the samples i would have to say i sent a, a second set but there's 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 a thing there uh is that that colombia profile also has a do so so it's actually it, it, i think it's how commodity markets react to the lack of sales, probably right. Mm-hmm. So if if your if your sales if your sales are are, are dropping, uh, you gotta figure out a way to massively communicate that your product is better to an audience that is not educated in the product. Right. And the only the only way of getting appealing is through standardization and certificates. And that's probably how you create DOs, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, heard a, I heard a crazy story once that's, I hope I had the time, any time, uh, to, to, to figure out if it's, if it's true or not. I heard the story that there's, a, there's families of Colombians in Vietnam that the Vietnamese government brought after the war 
like to rebuild all the coffee, like growing. Yeah, they had a Vietnam and Laos and probably Cambodia. They have like this big uh, initiatives by the government to become agricultural powerhouses in Southeast Asia in like 80s and 90s. And uh, it there's word, word in the streets that they brought families from the coffee growing regions in Colombia to grow to 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 create programs on growing arabica coffee so there there was a saying that the best colombian coffee was produced in 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 vietnam in, vietnam. in the mid 90s and that's why colombia had to go after the do uh it's do in english yeah the denomination yeah, yeah, like of origin the, the designation of origin yeah designation of origin yeah they, colombia had to go after the do in order to stop vietnam to 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 selling that coffee, it's it's a myth. It's a myth in the coffee industry, but uh, I don't know if it's true. But it's 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 amazing because it, it gives you an idea of of of, of, of why. But um, and that's probably your, your, something you, you you're gonna ask, and I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna jump before before you ask it. It's uh, do you do you want to know why we process the way we process? Absolutely. <laughs> that's uh, that's something I'm eager to tell you. Actually, that's that's why I send you the 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 samples, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sound a little bit of a fanboy, but that's the idea of what listening to this podcast has gave me as a as a producer, hmm, uh, and cool. it's that sense of place. It's that sense of place as well, and it's the um, when when. When you have all the conditions against you, because uh, you, you already uh, told them on the coffees from my farm, uh, the altitude is actually pretty low for coffee. Mm-hmm. Like Arabicas don't 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 do too well below fifteen hundred meters anymore mm-hmm. in in our latitude in Colombia. Uh, we have a terrible varietal. Sierra ninety five is is in the top ten worst things you can have planted at your farm. Like it's bad. And our soils are not that great. We're working on it, but it's not, it's not like amazing. Uh, if you do everything on the standard way, you end up with a pretty standard product. And that's the problem. I think, I think uh, uh, if, 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 if what's standard in your area, well, it's not, it's not great. You have to step out of that standard. I think somebody, somebody said in one of the first episodes, and uh, and that's the moment when you have to do something different. I, I always struggle with that idea of that I'm, I'm a Colombian coffee producer that do, that does naturals and semi-washed coffees, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to do good washed coffees because I'm Colombian and I'm supposed to. Right. And I, I, I try to do them sometimes, but I, they're not they're not as good as the naturals on the, on the semi-washed. And uh, I've, I've come to terms with the idea that I have to do uh, naturals and say my washed coffees because if if I don't do it, basically my coffees will taste like crap, and I wouldn't be able to sell them. Meanwhile, if I if I do heavily processed naturals, I will give them some spine, you know. Mm-hmm. So the coffees the coffees will be that that bland and and spineless, and they'll have something that that gives them an identity. And that's why we process that way. So each each one of those coffees from Parks and Fire that I send you 
Uh, they come from the same plot and they come from the same, actually the same farm, the same area and the same, same plot. They're picked in different days, but they're all processed in very, very, very different ways. Like we, we created four diametrically different flavor profiles towards processing and, 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 and those four processing decisions are made, are, are, are decided uh, towards making the coffee taste completely different. So that's so, the, the sort of, so, yep. so these coffees they all come from the, the same farm essentially, the same um, place. Yep. But it's the processing that is um, most um, most deterministic on terms of its its expressions of aroma and flavor and texture, or or is Definitely. it? Definitely. So it's the processing rather than the actual growing. Yeah, yeah. Those those from five seventy five, and we will have to go through them uh, afterwards. But uh, there are four of them. I think number one, number two, number three, and number four. Yeah, uh, they are CR ninety five from the same plot, processed in different ways. Then the typica is different, but uh, those four copies are processed in completely different ways. And they taste totally different because of it. Absolutely, yeah. That's so cool. So, yeah, so number one, for example, uh, it's a black semi-washed with black honey. Uh, and I did that process because I wanted to taste uh, like what people think Southeast Asian coffees taste like. So I wanted that taste. I love that taste in coffee, and I wanted that taste on my coffees. It was, <laughs> it was very hard to sell because nobody wanted to buy it. Uh, because of the taste, but uh, it's borderline defective. <laughs> but uh, but it's completely uh, intentional. That taste is completely intentional, and that's uh, once again coming back to the creation. That's that's I think that's that's something I love of it is that you can modulate the taste to a point. You can make it taste different. The problem comes for when you try to sell it. You have to break the rules of coffee trading. Because if not, you're not going to be able to. Mm-hmm. If I send that sample in green, not uh, like green is unroasted coffee. If I send that, send that sample unroasted to someone and they'd have no information whatsoever on that coffee, they'll see it and they still see, they'll say, oh, that coffee is completely defective because of the way it looks. But, and, and, and they, if they try to roast it, they'll probably screw it up if they, if they don't have experience with those types of coffees. So that's the problem with highly experimental coffees as well, that they require different conditions. And that's, uh, once again, a double-edged sword. Yeah, you have to ensure that you're preparing them in the right, well, in the right way, in the, in the way that uh, is, is going to best um, bring out the, the aromas and, and flavors. Yep. That's cool. That's cool. So, does how how important is the environment though on on the um, the ultimate expression of, of the coffee? Like how how does the environment correlate with the final product? Um, uh, f- forgetting about processing for a moment. Yeah. No, the environment is everything. Like, if you can, if you're lucky enough to have a farm, <laughs> and this is this is funny because. Uh, in wine, uh, 
you, you, you kind of choose the plot of land you want to grow at, you know? Right. Here, here's, here's what, we have a Colombian expression, here's what your family won in the bingo, you know? <laughs> okay. So, so there was a lottery and they gave you this piece of land. You do what you can with it. So it's, it's pretty funny because uh, it's, it's something that you don't account for that often, but some people got the lucky hand right. with, with, with the area they're growing coffee at. So morning sun, for example, uh, 30 minutes to 60 minutes more of sunlight a day, uh, air currents that are a little bit better, colder nights, uh, less wind. There are, there are a couple of conditions that, that, that will help you out a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, my business partner, she, she has amazing coffees. I actually sent one of her coffees to you. It's the Mustafa one. The Crucero, I think, is the name. Yeah. The Mustafa. Yeah, yeah, I've got it. The Fed Batch. The Fed Batch. Slow Mechanical Drying. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So her coffees, her, her cherry, the quality of her cherry is beautiful. It's insane. They're 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 very they're, they're they're best coffee growers. They're better coffee growers than I am. Uh, they, their cherry itself is amazing, and 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 well, part of part part of it is because of the job they do, but part of it is because of where they have their farms located. Right. But their, the location of their farms, their main farm, has been there for eighty years. So her grandfather built that farm and I, 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 this is a, this is a, 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 like a huge guess for me, but I will say that they knew what they were doing at the moment they planted and, 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 and they mm-hmm. saw that that area was very suitable for coffee. Actually the whole town uh, grew around that farm and that farm is kind of in the middle of a town. So at that time, the population was probably 100 people. Right now, it's probably 7,000. Wow. But the farm, the farm's still there, untouched, in a hill in the middle of the town. It's because it's highly productive. So her yields per plant are probably triple than my better yield in my farms. And that has to do a lot with the conditions. So yeah, right now, I'm... I'm I have this farm, which is very low, the one you cut the coffees from, and I'm planting the dream farm. I think I sent you pictures once. Uh, I'm planting the dream farm, like up in the hill, starting at uh, 1,800 meters all the way to 2,100. Is is this the terraced site? Yep. Yeah, it's a terraced farm. So I'm following uh, like viticulture techniques and I'm... Like I'm doing my my research with the farm. I don't want to do, I I, I don't want to go blind like my uncle did when he was growing the farm, mm-hmm. the one I'm working on because it's taken me forever to correct the mistakes we did on that farm, and it's gonna cost a lot of money. So uh, if I can do it on a new farm that has all the conditions for it, it will be better. So yeah, of course, in coffee, if you're higher, uh, you develop. Uh, better sugars, you have better acidity, uh, you have less problems with rust and with pests. And the higher you go, the better, unless you go very high, so then you have problems. But there's a sweet spot 
I would say between 1600 and probably what, 1900 or 1800. Right. There's a sweet spot there for, for coffee growing on, on our latitudes. And then all the environmental conditions it brings with it. So less rain is better for coffee. And the timing of the rain is very good. So that's a problem we have in Colombia. It rains every time. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to predict. So harvests are very chaotic. Chaotic, but yeah. Environmental conditions are everything. If, if you don't account for processing. Yeah, right. Now, if, you, if you're planting this vineyard from scratch... Sorry, <laughs> this oh. vineyard, <laughs> this coffee what plantation? Yeah, yeah, coffee farm. Could coffee be. farm. Um, you're are you being deliberate in terms of varietals that you're planting out? Um, the way that uh, they're being terraced into the vineyard. I, I'm looking at some of the photos that you sent through, and like this is some pretty unforgiving landscape. Um, I mean, if if you're a listener and you're Trying to imagine what the hell we're talking about. It, there's just there's this these massive sloping hills and um, it's just it's just full of trees and shrubs and overgrowth and all sorts of things and it, it just looks it looks effectively chaotic um, compared to the neat uh, orderly rows of of a vineyard that one imagines. But it it, it just looks wild and amazing and um, and then yeah this terraced site that you're you're putting in is kind of getting that that sort of I guess bringing a sense of order maybe to this particular side of the hill um, it uh, it looks extraordinary um, I, I can't even imagine the landscape I, I can't even compare it to anywhere really here in Australia either um, rainforesty and just just uh, yeah beautiful it's a uh it's a very hard uh, to tame environment. Mm. Uh, you, well, at least in my case, it, it once again depends on, on what your uh, beliefs are. But uh, I've come to terms with the idea that you don't have to tame the landscape. You have to play with it uh, because it will be impossible to beat nature in that regard. So whenever, for example, we're, we're using the weed whacker to, to cut down weeds. Uh, if you do it this week and your, 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 your land is completely cleared, uh, three, if it rains and there's a little bit of sun, three weeks afterwards, you're going to have 20 centimeters of grass mm-hmm. right away. So it's, it's very hard to compete with it sometimes. So you have to come to terms with the idea that you're going to bring a little bit of order to that chaos, but uh, you're not going to... You, ha- you got to be part of chaos, you know? Yeah, you have to, you have to become interrelated and interconnected yep. and, uh, and, not, uh, and not try to impose yourself on the landscape because you won't win. Yeah, yeah well, you, you will win if you destroy it. Right. Which, which is part of what happens. What people uh, when, do. when people's growing, yeah, yeah, it's what people do. I don't know if that happens in wine, but it happens a lot in coffee. Mm. People destroys complete, completely destroys ecosystems in order to, to get more yield. Yeah, and then they're trying to solve the problems they created. So. Right, exactly. Then they start chasing their tails, and yeah, um, yeah more and more band aids onto issues that 
really weren't there in the first place. If they'd yep. only, I guess, listened and observed the landscape a little bit more before imposing themselves upon it. Well, yeah, and we have to, with copy, we have to understand something that you were saying before. It's that uh, it's not endemic to our landscape. So we're actually planting something that doesn't belong here. And uh, that's a problem. Mm. Like, if, if we were supposed to plant something uh, that is ancestral and, like, has a lot of history, like, how to, how to call it, uh, agricultural or agronomic history in our land and our culture, we should be planting cacao. Right. Which is endemic and grows better, but uh, well, we're planting coffee. So we're, we're, we're actually going a little bit against nature right away. So we have to figure out ways in which we can play around with nature and, well, don't, don't, uh, don't generate that that reject to it. I've never been in Ethiopia, but I've heard that, well, it's like you go in the house and there's coffee in the backyard, basically. And it grows, it grows like weed. And uh, whatever they pick, whatever they, they process it like, like whatever they do in a, in, a, in a very standard way, tastes amazing because what what the soil brings to it and what the, the environment brings to it is amazing mm. and then, then then you start with the right food you know so uh, our, our our struggle as producers here has to be towards uh, probably what uh, sustainability uh, research and trying to compete trying to compete with our strengths you know uh, because because it's 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 just very difficult to to try. Sorry, man. It's all good. Dogs. Yeah, the dogs are barking because somebody arrived to the farm. <laughs> uh, we're yeah. It's 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 very complicated to fight against the idea uh, that coffee is not from here, and that brings you a perspective as a producer. If you start. If you start this by not acknowledging that your coffee is not going to be perfect because you're not in the perfect conditions, then you're going to have a problem for the rest of your life <laughs> mm-hmm. because because you're you're going to try to be Ethiopia and and that 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 is that is impossible. You're not so coffee coffee is going to behave different and you gotta you gotta have that in mind. Totally. Do you get a sense of uh, meaning from from the work that you do, like that you perhaps didn't get maybe when you were for, being a photographer? I mean, what's the what's the um, is there a like, a like a sense of situatedness? You know that you're connected now to this place that your family yeah. uh, uh, has as yeah. Well, I I I was having that discussion with a friend uh, last week actually. I'm right now, right this moment, I'm living the life I wanted to live a couple of years ago. And especially when I started in coffee, you know, I'm, I'm living in a farm I'm planting part of my food. I'm, I'm working the farm and I'm also working the rest of what, what growing coffee brings, uh, trading and quality control and milling and all that. 
but but physically, I'm, I'm I'm living in a farm, and that's that means a lot to me. Uh, not just with coffee, I think that's the problem with coffee is that you, you people people bring coffee too much into their lives. Uh, I love coffee. I, I love the idea of it, but I also respect the business. So I, I, I try to balance the two things. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it's more, more than coffee. It's about farm life. So I think coffee is a vehicle to be able to live that farm life with all its perks and, 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 and a little bit less of the downsides. One of the downsides being, well, uh, you got you to gotta eat, right? You, you have to sell something to eat. And, and coffee is a very good product for that. It's very resilient, it's very productive, and if you have good supply chain, well, it's a vehicle to, to, to be able to have, well, cash flow. And that's, I, I love the idea of, of creating taste, but I also, and I really love the idea of, of coffee being the opportunity, or coffee giving you the opportunity to, to, to make a living, you know, to make a good living. Mm-hmm. That's that I respect that a lot from the product. Uh, the rest, the rest comes with it. I, I, I do, I do several other things at the farm. I'm, 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 I'm doing stuff with sugarcane. I'm doing stuff with banana. Uh, we're doing orchards. We, we're playing around with biogas, uh, with castor oil. You name it. It's it's a playground. Mm-hmm. So it's not only coffee, huh? Oh no 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 my I gotta be honest that my of course my my main let's call it business focus of course is coffee uh, but through coffee I discover <laughs> I discovered something uh, that's very good for coffee it's very good for recovering soils and it's very good for having fun and get drunk mm-hmm. which is sugarcane. <laughs> So do you think we'll get a rum at some point from 575? Uh, yes, I'm actually hmm. I'm actually aging rum right now. Oh wow. From our first 100 bottles. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah, we've been it's it's amazing. It's something else. I we enjoy it a lot. Uh, it's it it came it came with coffee, honestly. Uh, we needed we needed something to control the grass with. Right. I didn't want to use any any glyphosate or Roundup or that. So we started cutting down grass and putting, well, using that chaos, you know, putting sugarcane there. So sugarcane grows in a very controlled way, but kills the grass because it's more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a grass. It's technically a grass, but it's, it's, it's more aggressive than it. So it, 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 it started controlling grass. Then we discovered that through sugarcane, we can we we were able to control uh, weather, like yeah, like the actual microclimate of the lots. Hmm. We can do it with a combination of shade and sugarcane, and then we discovered that sugarcane combined uh, with the ferrosia and other crops, they can act as a physical barrier for pests. So we started planting a shit ton of sugarcane. So we have. Right now we have we have 10, 10 to twelve hectares of coffee, and if we add all the sugarcane, we have probably four hectares of sugarcane. Uh, that makes, according to my numbers, for five thousand bottles of rum a year. Cool, very cool. Yeah, so it's been 
So we're actually taking that business line very seriously. Yeah, I was going to say this is going to be a commercial enterprise at some point. Yes, uh, the idea is to turn it into into a very high end rum. So it's going to be like a limited limited rum limited uh, run rum. It's not it's not molasses rum. It's actually rum agricole. That yeah, will be right. that will be the the closest. Yes, yeah, sugarcane rum. So same thing that happened with coffee. Uh, I did it the first time. Uh, I distilled the first the first run of it. Uh, we, we drink it with a friend. It was amazing. I let it age for a year and gave it to my dad on his 60th birthday, a couple, couple of years, a couple months ago, a year and a half ago. And, uh, it was amazing. It was delicious. Wow. It's, it's probably, it's probably, it's probably terrible compared to what we probably will be able to achieve in five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but we did it right. So it's our creation. That's it. That's it. And you're doing it. And it's it. better. Yep. And it's better than the shitty rum we have from the store. So <laughs> Always. 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 Exactly. Herbert, I've got a couple of questions to ask you um, to round out the interview. Uh, you may have heard these before, but uh, are you ready? Yep. What do you least love about coffee? The industry. I think I think the way the industry uh, puts coffee in a pedestal, it's good, uh, but takes out of the takes us out of the focus of of of, of the coffee growers. You know, I my perspective is always going to be biased towards producing. So I think. Because I'm a producer, of course, mm. and uh, I think I think the industry itself uh, gained more momentum than than producers, and it, it coffee became like the industry is a, has a fetish for the industry. If that makes any sense. Yeah, people and, think uh, of coffee; they think of baristas rather than growers. Yep. Yeah, or roasters or mm. whatever. And I think I think we should. The problem is that we should uh, reclaim that position as producers, and we have to demand it with with knowledge, of course, and like we have to do our job from here better, mm-hmm. like like they do in wine or or other products. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Like uh, chefs, um, you know, in the last I guess twenty years or so, their the, their status has mm-hmm. risen, and people more associate restaurants, you know, and the chefs, not just the the person that hangs out the back and they're very integral yep. to the to the product. What do you most love about coffee? Living on the farm, the farm life. I I have to I I have to be honest that uh the more time I spend at the farm, the more time I want to spend here. And uh, like every day is an adventure, you know. Uh, you can you can you can decide one day like, hey, I'm gonna go to the top of the farm. It's 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 like you said, it's an unforgiving, <laughs> it's an unforgivable uh, landscape. It's gonna take me an hour to go to the top of the farm, mm. but I can find a horse, ride a horse all the way up there. And uh, bricks, bring bring some bricks and cement and build a, a house up there if I want. 
then I can I can come back down and tomorrow I can cut some sugarcane and start making a mash. And a week afterwards, I can be roasting coffee and distilling rum at the same time. Like possibilities uh, that piece of land give you mm. are beautiful. You can create everything with it. And coffee is the vehicle to have one, well, the, the cash flow, of course, for doing it. Uh, but also everything you learn, I, I, I think I should have talked about this, but Coffee producers, uh, I will say probably in the world, are the ones more prepared to do the jump, to take the jump from agricultural or farmers to an agro-industrial point of view. Mm -hmm. Because you have to think of transformation, you have to think of sales, you have to think of budgeting, you have to do a lot of things. So it's not uncommon that Colombian coffee growers went from growing coffee to having uh, their money in another industry. And you see the development on the old coffee areas around that. So I think that's, that's important in coffee, is that it gives you the tools to do something else or to stay in coffee. Mm -hmm. But it's, 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 a, it's a vehicle. That's awesome. What's one word to describe what you do? Oof. <sighs> Supply. Probably supply. Like if I, yeah, yeah. If I have, if I have to think on something, my, my job, my my real job. <laughs> it is. Uh, I think this is the first time I'm gonna say it out loud. But my real <laughs> job is to supply coffee to my clients, basically. So I have to make everything in my hands, everything that I can do, to be able to supply good coffee. That's it. Where where do your where do your coffees go to? I know um, it was a bit of a rarity to get some over here in Australia, but uh, a lot of North American uh, clients. Uh, where else? Yeah, we we have a very good uh, reach on the states. Uh, so yeah, basically United States. We we're we're getting a little bit into Canada. We have a couple of clients in Mexico. Uh, then the we work with a couple of roasters in. Yeah, UK, a couple, uh, France, uh, Germany, mm -hmm. uh, Czech Republic, Finland, Denmark. Cool. And yeah, China. That's, yeah. Our, that's our scope. Yeah, Australia, Australia is very difficult. When I send you samples, I was very scared that I will get trapped. So we're, we're, we're keeping out of Australia for a while, but uh, probably one day. Yeah, well, I hope so. Uh, well, that's good. I mean, I've got the only uh, only coffee in in Australia from five seven five, so bully for yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Think of a favorite album or a piece of music, a song, something. What is it? Uh, what do you love most about it? Uh, there's there's a song I love from uh, Luis Alberto Spinetta. He had a group called. Uh, Invisible, and uh, the song is called Hugo de Lucuma. I, I think it describes the whole situation of, of Latin American music and, and, and the things we can create in Latin America. You know, um, when, you, when you talk about Latin American music, you, you imagine, I don't know, uh, merengue or like tropical music right away. Mm. And when you talk about Latin American rock, 
it becomes this sort of a, I don't know, joke, but probably a parody of what rock can be. Right. But this 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 guy really delivers something very very special and unique. I think he was probably the biggest uh, rock and jazz and whatever genre that is artist that Latin America had. song it's amazing okay that's cool batman superman or spider-man Oof. batman batman yeah yeah i don't don't believe in superpowers too much <laughs> he's quite a resourceful superhero exactly mm. i think uh yeah there's there's a lot of geeky discussion about uh Batman having superpowers, but uh, I think basically it's yeah, just just this this great detective that figures out things by himself and and well with a with a little bit of cash, you know. I I think I like he's got capital, that's I, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I like I, I think I respect that about about Batman. You know, he's a he's a businessman that takes his money. <laughs> <laughs> try to do something with it and uh, i i like that idea i i i can't take the the business part of out of my head mm-hmm. to be honest uh because i i think if you want to if you want to build something if you want to do anything well you have to you have to have that that part in your mind if you want to be sustainable so i think that's the good thing about batman that he he has endless capital behind him, you know, mm-hmm. and a group of people working with him. Like it's not just him; it's freaking Alfred and Robin and the rest of the people. He's mm-hmm. not just himself. He's a he's a team. It's a team effort. Interesting. Yep. It's an interesting take. I like that. If we were ever in a position to recreate the T Rex, should we do it? Oh, definitely. 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 We will have to live with the consequences of it, but but uh, I think I think it will give us perspective as human beings. I mean, it's like having something bigger than us in the world that will probably give us a, a perspective. Yeah, I mean, we do have the universe, and that doesn't seem to put many people in awe. <laughs> yeah, but the the universe is not gonna come and and chew you if you if you step into their into their area. <laughs> you go to the That's wrong the parts thing, of I the think. universe, man. It'll it'll fuck you up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But the problem the problem is getting out of there. True. But imagine imagine having the T Rex coming at you at night. <laughs> that last <laughs> Jurassic <laughs> World was terrible. I, I don't want to see a dinosaur roaming around a house. That, that that's just stupid. <sighs> I didn't. 
I, I, I stopped watching Jurassic Park, I think, after the third or something. Yeah, I, you were right. I wanna, I, yeah, I want to keep, I want to keep the, I always say that, that the first Jurassic Park was the, the last classic. Totally. And I, I love that movie, so I don't want to, I don't want to taint, taint that memory. <laughs> You're right to do that. Mate, <laughs> where can people find out more about you and, and 575 Cafe? I there's if if you look us up on 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 Google if that's the the search engine you use or well For now, whatever yeah. other search engine yeah uh, if if people looks up in, in with my name or with five seventy five or we have a project called uh, La Reb which is our collective L A R E B that's the that's our it's a small cooperative like project that we put together, which Rusilandia is part of it. So if you go on Instagram and you look for La Rev, uh, and you look at the tagged pictures, the, the pictures we're tagged in, uh, there's a lot of information from our clients about us. We, we are very, we're a little bit behind on publishing stuff. That's, we've been thinking about doing it big, so we haven't done it. <laughs> that usually happens. Mm-hmm. So we're we're yet we're yet to put more information about us, but uh, five seventy five or La Rep in, in in Instagram will be the, the best resource. And there's a couple of of videos and audio files on on YouTube and Spotify, different podcasts or yeah, of me talking about different things. I'm a little bit sad that the only person from the project that talks about what we do is me, uh, but well. Most of the shows and everything, and yeah, uh, they're in English, so mm-hmm. not too many people from the collective gets the chance to to participate. Yeah, I reached but, out to uh, Haler at one point, and um, it was funny because I was talking to him on DM via Instagram, and his English was was coming across real well. And I was like, "Hey, man, you know, we should get you on the pod. I'm I'm talking with Herbert soon. It would be fun." And he. <laughs> It takes back. I'm putting everything that I write to you through Google Translate and then copy yeah. pasting into the DM. Yeah, I was like, "Yep, <laughs> nice, nice." Yeah, that's what that's what he does sometimes. Uh, or 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 he asks someone in the collective to do it. So so yeah, right. So the on. thing is that yeah, yeah. Well, Herbert. Listen, thank you so much for spending uh, the last uh, hour or so chatting with me about coffee and, uh, and you know, pulling on some threads and um, getting uh, – articulating a little bit more about the, the specialness and the provenance of coffee and how uh, important it is to connect it to the first principles, to the, to the grower, to the, to the producer. Any time, mate. Any time. episode 19 in the bag happy happy days what did you think you feeling wired you craving a cup of coffee or what if you did enjoy it let me know leave a comment if you're using apple podcasts or soundcloud otherwise you can tweet me on twitter or tag me on instagram at fermenting place or simply say hello via email give it to me straight tell me what you like tell me what you didn't like tell me what you'd like to see next give me a guest suggestion hello at fermentingplace.com that's enough from me for now. Thanks for listening. Be well forever. Seek to eat, drink and be merry. 
and I'll speak with you next time on the Fermenting Place podcast.